Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello to you all and welcome to Positivity Strategist. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 43 and I'm about to have a truly uplifting conversation with a mind hacker and his name is Sir John Hargrave. He's a pretty cool dude as you're about to find out. And he's well known in the media world for creating awesome online content. And he's authored a couple of books. So here's a lively snippet of my conversation with Sir John to whet your appetite for this fabulous show today. I personally want to bring these these techniques out into the world at large because I think that they are enormously useful for us and needed at this point in our human story, as we have all of these technology tools at our disposal, learning to master them before they master us, but also, more importantly, learning to master our minds. Now, before you get to hear the full conversation with Sir John, here's a playback to our Positivity Lens Reframe segment from last week's show. Actually, it was two weeks ago. And we had Appreciative Inquiry innovator Suzanne Quinney from Liverpool as my guest. And so these were the three tips that Suzanne left us with. And I hope that you have been practicing them in the meantime. So the first one was to have fun with reframing. Because after all, she reminded us that words do create your worlds. And so the suggestion there was to notice your own inner commentary and see if any of it can be reframed into something more positive. Look for the best in the world rather than the worst in a person or a situation. Now, number two was, Suzanne suggested that you start your meetings, and that could be at home or at work, naming something that worked well. And she loved to refer these uh, these episodes of time that worked well as sparkling moments. So she suggested that you share sparkling moments with a colleague and allow for the colleague to name two strengths that they're aware of that came out of your sparkling moments story. And the last one, Suzanne reminded us that what we pay attention to grows. So one way to get more familiar with what we're paying attention to is to start a journal daily, a daily journal. And she said if you... Just take a few minutes to write something down and that helps you retrain the mind. Write about things that you did for others or that they did for you and notice what you begin to pay attention to. And now to this week's show. So hello everybody and in this episode I'm speaking with Sir John Hargrave. Now, some time ago, I was approached by a member of his team suggesting that the content of his new book would be a good fit for Positivity Strategist. And the book is called Mind Hacking, with the subtitle, A How-To Manual for Hacking Your Head. 
So we're going to talk about this today. And firstly, I'm so delighted to have you here, Sir John, and welcome to Positivity Strategist. I am even more excited to be here, Robin. Thank you. (laughs) Great. So let's dive straight into the book. And um, I'm hoping that who you are will be revealed as our conversation evolves. I'm hoping so too. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have a lot of stories to share and the book is full of these lovely stories. And um, we'll talk about some of those too. So the, the, the wonderful thing is that your book is freely available online so we can all read it now. And that's how I read it. And it's also going to be published by Simon & Schuster in January, January 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So first of all, thank you for reading the book, Robin. It shows that you are a good podcast host that <laughs> does your homework ahead of time. So I really appreciate that. And it is available for free. So we're trying an interesting experiment. It's published as a traditional book in January 2016. You can pre-order it from Amazon now. Also available as kind of a pre-release copy uh, at mindhacky.ng. That's mindhacking, but with a .ng. And our uh, approach has been to get people to read the book and try the techniques and exercises in this book ahead of time. And it's been incredibly rewarding how many people have done that. Yeah, that's very cool because you have an app that accompanies it, right? So people can kind of record their progress as they experiment and experience some of the games and some of the practices that you're suggesting throughout the book. That's right. We used open source software as our model for writing this book. And open source software, of course, is free for anybody to use and to download and to even modify. So we've taken that same spirit with the book and we've had thousands of test readers who have gone through this program and given us just great feedback and it's made it such a better book because of their contribution. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So it's actually finished, right? So it's final or are you still making modifications? Well, it is finished in the sense that it is now going to press. But also in the spirit of open source software, it's a kind of a work in progress as mm-hmm. well. So as we get feedback from our beta testers, our, our early readers on what's worked, what hasn't worked, what exercises or hacks they found useful, um, we can uh, kind of modify the book to make use of that in the same way you modify software based on what your, your users tell you. Beautiful. So it continues to live and can be changed and get better. Yeah, exactly. I think this is the new future of writing books is it's going to be much more of an ongoing work in progress and much more like software is constantly re-released and updated. Um, I think we're going to see the same with with many genres of books. Mm, A bit like our brain, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> hey, we're doing it right. Our brain is always learning and growing. And that's really what mind hacking is all about. It's about learning to reprogram our brains to get rid of the negative thought habits that we have in our life and really reprogram them with positive thought loops in the same way you reprogram a computer uh, to turn your life in really exciting new directions. Hmm. And I guess that's the fit with positivity strategists that we're talking yes. about these ways of increasing positivity in our lives because we know that they do actually help us perform better, 
be healthier and all kinds of other benefits. But John, tell me, what's the best thing about this book from your perspective? Well, the best thing is that it is incredibly practical. So I've always wanted to read a self-help book, Robin, that I would want to read. You know, most self-help books out there have like flowers or galloping horses on the cover. And that's just never appealed to me. I'm a geek and I really like technology. And I've always wanted something that was more practical. Um, When we originally pitched this book, it was like, we called it a user manual for the mind. And that's how I think of it. It's like the lost manual (laughs) for your brain and how to practically, with, with actual exercises, things you can do, take those negative thought loops, those thought habits, and turn them into positive thought loops that move your life in, in a new direction. And that's the really exciting part to me. It's almost like a science of self-improvement. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, in the field of positivity, it's the science and the biology of it that is demonstrating the impacts of having a, um, more positive thinking processes and how those translate into our daily habits and that they beget, they get enacted or lived out. That's, that's the exciting part. So, I mean, you're talking about science in terms of like, you know, from, I guess, computer science, but I'm thinking of biological science. Yeah. Um, yeah. They go hand in hand. They do. They do. Yeah. And, you know, so interesting that um, I think the, is it a metaphor or an analogy you're using when you're talking about, you know, software and hacking? I don't know if it's a metaphor and an analogy. Uh, Well, I think we use a little of both (laughs) throughout the book. But I I think of it as a model. You know, computers are a model for how we can think about our our brains or our minds. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, you know, you talk about you didn't want to have flowers or ponies or sunrises or you did not. A silhouette of the Buddha. Yes. um, And beautiful lotus flowers. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) um, But, you know, you have this kind of more masculine energy. So... Have you written it for a male audience particularly? Well, I hope that it appeals to both males and females. I really think of it as appealing to geeks, you know, appealing to folks who really love technology and who have that approach to life of looking at things from from almost like how can we reverse engineer this thing? Mm. Um, And I think we can do the same with our minds. And going back to the science we had a one of the mottos we used during the book was no woo woo. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want any woo woo. And, you know, I've read a lot of, of the more woo woo type self-help books in my day, and I find them greatly inspiring. Um, but at the same time, we wanted something that was grounded in research and in science and in the latest findings so that when we say, OK, here's how to, for example, make sure that your New Year's resolution is more likely to stick, that we actually grounded that in research studies that have proven specific things you can do to make your New Year's resolution more likely to stick. So a lot of the things out there about thinking positively, in my experience, are just kind of uh, common thoughts about how to think positively, but they're not really grounded in any actual data. So that was that was very important to us 
to make sure that there was science behind everything that we recommend. And so what kind of science? There's a lot of psychological studies in the book. One of the examples would be this common idea of visualization. So I'm sure you've heard, you know, if you visualize your your goals and your dreams that you will be more likely to achieve them. It was a really interesting study where they had uh, a group of students, they uh, split them into two subgroups. One group, they said, hey, we want you to visualize getting a good grade at the end of the semester. And at the, the other group, they said, we want you to visualize the process of getting to a good grade. So one group visualized the end result, the popular way of thinking. The other group simulated the process of getting to that end result. So they would picture, for example, you know, how they were going to study for it. They would plan out what happens if a friend comes and asks me to go to a party. You know, how am I going to deal with that? They pictured, you know, getting good night's sleep before the test, taking the test, getting the good grade. The whole thing, including the problems. How would they overcome problems in getting there? Well, consistently they showed the second group, the one that simulated the whole process, uh, did much better, like up to a full letter grade higher in their final grade than uh, the group that just visualized the end result. So that was a good example where the actual research is a little bit different from the popular conception of of how to succeed with visualization. Mm, yeah. And I guess with a lot of the brain imagery, imaging that we can do today, it you know it tells us where or which parts of the brain light up to show what kind of processes and what's happening um, to make those shifts. And we know, for example, that negative emotions, for good reasons, shut mm-hmm. us down. So, yeah. um, you know, when we're dealing with fear or anger or jealousy, um, you know, we have to narrow our focus for our own survival, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting on the cover of your book, um, you have, um, I'm just taking a look at it now, you have things like conquer fear and, and um, overcome addictions, fix mm-hmm. relationships, find happiness, improve your career. So these are all kind of, well, some of them are kind of overcome the adversities that you're confronting and where yeah. do they come from. So I guess this is, you know, why you would want to hack your mind <laughs> to understand that. And then you have this kind of moving towards strategy about how you can then take responsibility for action. So, um, yeah, so I think the reasons what I particularly liked about the book, and I'd love to share those with you, is that um, I found I just really enjoy your writing. (laughs) I think you write beautifully. And there are these personal stories. And I think the message that you're really communicating here – it's a very important topic of understanding the complexity of our human mind, right? Yeah. And then those practices that you, I mean, I think you call them games, but they're kind of practices to help us become more aware of what's going on. So yes. maybe you can just talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe for you, John, was there a time um, when, I don't know, you became more aware or you were awakened to, the fact that maybe your mind was playing tricks with you? <laughs> yeah, well, the book opens up with a story. Uh, I won't spoil the surprise. You can read about it for free. But uh, I was visited by the Secret Service, by the United States Secret Service who protect the president. Uh, and, you know, 
Robin, when the Secret Service are sitting in your living room, it's probably a good sign that things have gone off track somewhere <laughs> in your life. Something's not not quite right. So I uh, am an alcoholic and an addict, and, and I think it was that dependency on those substances that led to that, <laughs> that moment. And I made a decision that night in the aftermath of this that I was going to throw away all the alcohol and drugs in my house. And it was very difficult to do that. Probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. But as I did that, I noticed that as I'm throwing these bottles of liquor in the dumpster, if I allowed my mind to think about what I was doing, my mind would talk me out of it. It would say, you know, what are you doing? Think of all the good times we've had. You can't throw this stuff away. You're crazy. You're never going to have fun again. But if I just focused on the muscle movement of throwing away these things, literally one step at a time, mm. and just put my mind on hold, I was able to get through it. And that's how I did it. And what I learned was that was, you know, you've heard about the, maybe you've heard in 12-step groups, they talk about one day at a time. Well, that mm. was kind of like one moment at a time. Mm. And it really works as a hack when you're trying to get through these difficult things. It works as a technique or a trick in your mind. And as I was getting sober over those subsequent months, um, learning to deal with my mind was one of the most difficult things. And I began to catalog this series of hacks or tricks or techniques of dealing with my mind that gradually put me in that direction of, of staying sober. I've been sober about eight years now. And so I'm really passionate about sharing these with folks because they're not just helpful for overcoming addiction but making any change in our lives. You know, anytime we're trying to lose weight or start a new business or find, uh, you know, happiness in relationships, all these things start in our minds and, and learning to take control of them there makes us successful in accomplishing the goals. Mm. So are you describing um, a term that you use in the book, which is called being in the super user mode, like having that that awareness outside yourself so that you kind of become an observer of what you're doing and that's where you put your attention. Um, say more about that. Is that what you're referring to here? Well, I think that's a little different, but it is foundational. So the first part of the book is really about gaining awareness of our mind and the most useful analogy I can give you is a, a movie theater. Mm -hmm. So when you go into the movies, if you're like me, at the beginning of the movie, you're kind of analyzing the movie. You're not really like into it. You're kind of thinking about the actors and the music. And maybe you're making jokes. But then if it's a good movie, you get lost in it, right? You just get absorbed into the movie. And that's the point of a movie <laughs> is to get lost in it and just forget about yourself for a little while. So our minds are the same way that if I just ask you, the listener, to think about your mind for a moment, just do that, just think about your mind, you can instantly see that there's a you that's thinking about your mind. So the two are not the same. The two are actually separate. And that's what we call super user mode mm -hmm. as well, is getting out of that mental state where we can kind of view the mind objectively the technical term is metacognition, which means thinking about our thinking. However, throughout the day, what happens is we get lost in the mind, like we get lost in the movie. 
we get absorbed in it. And so when our mind starts feeding us ideas like, you know, you're not good enough or you're a failure or you'll never accomplish this, whatever those negative thought loops are that are holding us back, we tend to believe them because they come from our mind and we forget that we are not our mind. We're, we're, we can be in control of our mind. So the first part of the book is all about exercises. We call them mind games to get back in control, to get on top of the mind outside in that super user mode and be aware of what's going on on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, you talk about the movie clips or it's kind of the little narrators in your head and the stories that you tell yourself, right, that get yeah. played out. And um, and so you become so dependent on that and um, and it's those negative loops that you talk about. So tell me, what's the, what's the cost of... So, I mean, for me, it's kind of like you're describing being very mindful. And is mindful one of those woo-woo words for you? <laughs> well, I think mindful is a very good word. It does capture what we're trying to do. However, mindfulness to me is a bit like meditation in that I, it's used so much nowadays that it's it's starting to lose its meaning mm-hmm. in some ways or it comes with its own set of connotations around it. So I find it more helpful, especially for technically minded folks, to think about it in terms like a, you know, an admin level account. Like you have your regular user account on a computer, you have an administrator level account that gives you kind of special powers that gets you outside of that regular user account. So we try to draw these analogies that bring these concepts to life in a more practical and tangible way so that you can try them out on your own mind and and really experiment with them because as we say in the beginning of the book you are the ultimate experiment Mm -hmm. your mind is the test environment for all of the stuff we're talking about and your life is the ultimate result so that's the the really fun and exciting part of this is we're like, you know, we mind hackers are like explorers, you know, the, the world has already been explored. The next phase is into our own minds and just exploring the untold mysteries and riches that are there. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And you also have a beautiful quote from one of my very favorite people, which is um, William James. Oh, yeah. And he talks, let me just read that quote to you because I really love it. Um, He says that the skill of voluntarily bringing back a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character and will. And an education which should improve this faculty would be the education par excellence. So talk more about that. William James, such a genius, uh, and I just grew to have such a respect mm. for his his work as I wrote this book. Right. Um, but yeah, let me just unpack that little mm-hmm. quote that you read. Mm-hmm. So what he's talking about is bringing back a wandering attention. So in other words, learning to concentrate, learning to concentrate. And throughout our day, um, we are all bombarded with distractions, And this is especially true if you live kind of a digital lifestyle, Uh, if you work on the internet, you every day will have hundreds or thousands of little interruptions like your instant message requests, your text messages, all the email lists that you're on that you don't need to be. All of these things cry out for attention. And 
They also give us a little bit of uh, what uh, has been called like a psychic anxiety. Mm -hmm. In other words, you log into LinkedIn or Facebook and they say your profile is 85% complete. And you think to yourself, oh, I got to complete that. I got to get to 100%. It's just that little tiny bit of psychic anxiety. This is why we all feel so stressed mm -hmm. and so like strung out is that there's all of these distractions, these digital distractions clamoring for our attention. So we spend a lot of time in the book talking about, well, how do we start to increase our concentration, increase our focus, as mm -hmm. William James said, to bring back our wandering attention not just by crafting a lifestyle that's more conducive to focused concentration, but also learning to train our minds so internally we are stronger and we're able to keep our concentration more focused in the moment and not be tempted by these, these kind of digital doggy treats that mm -hmm. are all over the place. Yeah, and, um, and then you talk about, you know... Um, the um, the myth of multitasking and the increasing fragmentation of attention. And just as you said, it makes our minds weaker, not stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the research shows that multitasking is a myth and every, every cognitive task that you add to your already fractured attention means you do every one of those tasks worse. But we all think that we're immune to it. We all kind of say, well, I'm, you know, I'm the one who can answer email while I'm in a meeting or what have you. And um, you can't. You really have to focus on one thing at a time. And so, again, you know, a lot of the exercises in the book are about how do we uh, how, do, how do we focus ourselves and keep ourselves out of that temptation of rapid task switching, Right. Like having to either do two things at once or kind of work on something and then rapidly switch over to something else and then come back. Because we all know it takes us time to get back into the zone, um, into the flow of what we were what we were doing mm -hmm. before. Is that your experience? Do you do you get that, Robin, like where you are bombarded by these distractions all day? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm very much into um the kinds of things that you're describing here. So being very aware of it and structuring time when you only look at your email and, you know, yeah. turn it off. And I mean, I, I meditate. So, you know, I, I, I practice a lot of the stuff that you are proposing in your book. And I'm wondering whether that comes from, you know, experience, you know, what about young people? What are you finding with millennials, for example? I mean, what's the cost of not being aware of this? You know, the long-term implications. Have you had, you know, millennials or younger, you know, younger people? I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s, so, but younger people who, who, are, who are saying, yes, they're waking up to this reality. Uh, yeah, so again, there's, there's some good uh, research that shows that folks who are chronic, um, you know, cell phone checkers, for example, tend to feel more anxious, again, because of this idea of this open task loop or psychic anxiety that that causes. It's as if the more you check, the more anxious you feel because the more you perceive there is for you to do. Uh, but the good news to that is there really is a growing movement of 
young folks who are looking for uh, a way out, for looking for greater mindfulness. And again, they're approaching it as from kind of a technology perspective. How can we hack our minds? How can we kind of reverse engineer the brain? What are specific things that we can do to be more aware of our minds and get more mental peace in our everyday life? And it's been really exciting to talk with those folks and to hear about their successes on this journey as well. Yeah, um, that's a very lovely expression, mental peace. Mm. Hmm. Um, and of course, I'm thinking of um, Adriana Huffington when I listen to you, <laughs> because she, you it, know, she, I don't sound like her very much. Though. <laughs> I don't have the accent or anything. I, no, you don't sound like a typical Greek woman at all. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, she has written about, you know, the, you know, she's been onto this, you know, do this digital detox, and yeah. we need more sleep, and all these things that we're kind of becoming more aware of. And um, so it's just so just such an interesting time that we're in that we have all these amazing tools and all this stuff available to us. And we need to kind of be aware that we also have another part of our lives that we need to address and, and um, nurture and take care of. So yeah, uh, uh, so who's your audience? Who are you hoping will will pick this up and you know, do something with it. Uh, your your audience. That's that's my audience. Whoever's listening to this <laughs> is the audience for mind hacking. Um, folks who want greater clarity and control over their minds, and uh, if they are lovers of technology, so much the better. And again, I come at this uh, from a a perspective of being a geek, a, a lover of technology. At one of the first home computers in my bedroom growing up and it was my greatest possession so I learned to program at a very young age and so as I'm talking about all these digital distractions it's not as someone who wants us to get rid of technology it's as someone who wants us to consciously uh, deal or manage our technology in Mm -hmm. other words these technologies are so new that we don't have rules for them yet We don't have rules for how often we should check our phones or how, you know, how important a text message is versus somebody who's sitting there talking with you in person. And what we need to do is is consciously figure those things out, make rules for ourselves and then stick to them. And again, the research shows when we do that, we are able to get more of this this mental peace and use these things for what they are, which is tools. Hmm. Yeah. How evolved do you have to be to do that? Well, you need opposable thumbs. <laughs> so you do need to be at that level of evolution because without that, you can't text, <laughs> right? You got to have the thumbs to hold the phone. And uh, I think that you have to have some level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, obviously, if you are just <laughs> getting by... <laughs> You, you, need, you need to do that. But the interesting thing about all this is that there is a kind of virtuous circle or a kind of flywheel effect that gives us more energy and kind of helps us evolve more or get more positive energy. There's a great book called The Power of Habit uh, by Charles Duhigg, and he mm-hmm. talks about 
this story of uh, a woman who was part of a smoking cessation program. And these uh, researchers were studying her and she was overweight and she did not, she, her life was a mess. She couldn't hold down a job and she didn't have uh, good relationships and, uh, and when she was smoking. So she decided to stop smoking. They followed up with her for a year later and they did not recognize the woman who walked through the door as being the same woman. They literally thought it was a different woman. So she had lost all this weight. She had uh, uh, a, a job. She had a, a relationship and she obviously had uh, kept off the, the smoking as well. And he called it a keystone habit. The idea was that this was uh, this keystone habit somehow unlocked this potential to make all of these other positive changes in her life. And you see that if you go to 12-step groups all the time where somebody stops drinking and then you follow up with them a, a year or two later and they've lost weight and they're going to the gym and they've started a business, <laughs> like their lives turn around. And that happens so often that I think it is something we can count on that when we start to get control of our mind, it frees up these mental cycles, this positive energy mm -hmm. that we can really use to evolve more and turn our lives into to great new directions. Yeah, totally agree. So um, what was the self-fulfilling prophecy that you lived at the time before you started hacking into your mind? Because I think what you're describing there is, you know, you can, you, the self-fulfilling prophecy you can be, can be a um, a downward spiral or an upward spiral. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious about you know, I, and I think I'm referring here to you talk about debugging mental loops. So yeah. um, was there one for you? You know what what were you living into? Oh, so many, so many, and and I think most of these loops that go on in our heads are self fulfilling prophecies. And here's just a simple example: is I I thought that I was no good with people, uh -huh. so I'd be talking to somebody, and instead of focusing on what the other person was saying, I'd be like very awkwardly thinking about am I standing up straight, or do I have a noodle in my teeth, or like you know just whatever. And I realized over time that there's this loop going on in my head, which is I'm no good with people. Mm. And so that's the negative loop. And like a programmer, we kind of debug that mental code and we think, well, what's, what do I want to replace that with? What's the positive uh, equivalent? And mm. it's basically I'm good with people. That's it. So I started telling myself that I'm good with people. And when I would be talking with somebody face to face and I'd start to feel that awkward self-consciousness, I'd start to say, uh, I'm good with people. That's it. That's it. Just repeating that to myself and hundreds of thousands of times um, repeating that. It turns out that over time, I actually have come pretty good with people. So, so there is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell yourself, you know, I'll never lose weight and, I, and I'm no good at exercise, you probably will not seek out opportunities to exercise and you probably won't be good at it. But if you say, Hey, I'm I'm going to learn how to exercise. When somebody invites you to go to a kickboxing class, instead of saying, "Oh, it's going to be humiliating for me," you might say, "Okay, I, I'm going to try this because I'm getting good at exercise." So they do have a weird self-fulfilling tendency mm -hmm. to them, and that's the the beauty and mystery of them as well. Yeah, and you know, you you actually can rewire your brain for good. I mean, and for good, you know, in the 
both senses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so I think that's what you're talking to. Now, I want to know why squirrels get a bad rap throughout your book. <laughs> well, do you live in the suburbs with a lot of squirrels, first of all, Robin? Yes, I do. And I have to tell you that I'm Australian. And when my sister who visits me from Australia comes and we're, we're sitting looking at the squirrels in the yard, she just thinks they're adorable. And we go into New York City and we sit in Union Square or Central Park and she's just in love with the squirrels. So um, I think Americans have a very different experience and relationship with squirrels. So talk yeah. to me about squirrels. Yeah, we do. We do. But uh, in the context <laughs> of the book, we yes. talk about squirrels as uh the, first of all, the Frenetic mind. little things, right? Yes. First of all, the mind is being like a distractible dog. Mm -hmm. And the story I tell is my, uh, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, had this dog named Cassie. And Cassie was literally the most insane dog that I have ever met. <laughs> and there may have been something genetically, like, <laughs> messed up within... Cassie's DNA, because you would take this dog out for a walk, she's a German Shepherd, huge, mm. and she would go lunging at any object that caught her attention, like trees or passing cars or children, the clouds, invisible phantoms. And she would literally be like, I would be like hanging on for dear life as she lunged down the street at uh, people. Eventually, we had to take Cassie out and give her away. And the story is that she went to a farm, the new owners let her out of the truck and she bounded off into the sunset mm. and was never heard from mm. again. At any rate, Cassie loves squirrels and she would be constantly chasing after any squirrel that got her attention. And it's a good analogy for our minds where again, as these, you know, you get a text message throughout the day. Yeah. And most people that I observe instantly drop everything they're doing to focus on that text message. And that's a good example of Cassie the dog <laughs> chasing after a squirrel. Something mm -hmm. grabs our attention and we go running after it. And what we're trying to do is discipline that dog mind mm -hmm. and basically focus it so that instead of becoming our worst enemy, it can become our best friend. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So, John, are you, are you giving talks? Are you on the speaker circuit talking about this? I mean, what's your – I know you are the CEO of Media Shower. Yeah. Which is a, a content marketing automation platform, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and so that's your full-time job. That is, yes. Okay. <laughs> and so the book is a labor of love. I mean, I'm I'm filling in spaces here, so you have to correct me here. So why don't you just fill us in a little bit about, you know, where the book fits in your life and what you're going to do with it and, you know, the, the regular job that you have, if you wish. I'd just love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. So I... Uh, as you said, I'm, I run Media Shower. We're a content marketing company. We develop great content for our clients' websites and blogs. We're really passionate about doing that. But mind hacking is one of the skills that we teach the folks who work with us. We believe that investing in our employees makes for a stronger company. And investing in our employees' minds makes for better employees. So uh, 
<laughs> from your mind to your work to the company at large. That's basically our thinking. So as part of this, you know, I personally want to bring these, these techniques out into the world at large because I think that they are enormously useful for us and needed at this point in our human story as we have all of these technology tools at our disposal, learning to master them before they master us, but also, more importantly, learning to master our minds. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I think it's a wonderful message for um, people in workplaces and particularly that, you know, you're focusing on how people can take some of those negativity biases and those negative loops and how they can shift and move in the direction that they really want to do and, and be very conscious about that. So makes good sense to me. So, John, um, with um, you've already given us the link to the book and I'll put another few things on the show notes page where people can reach you. Um, But we have a segment called Positivity Lens Activity. And I like my guests to leave at least three practical things that they would recommend to the listeners about how they can implement some of the good stuff that you're putting out into the world. So would you be able to come up with three by way of closing, please? Yes. I would. Three ways of being more positive in your everyday life. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, and related to um, how you can, you know, the mind hacking book that you have written so beautifully. So, some, yes. you know, maybe some of the practices that you, that you would like to draw attention to from your book. Okay. So the first one is called Welcome the Pain. Welcome the pain. And the idea is when you run into difficulty in your life, as we all do, when you run into challenges, the natural inclination is to resist it. You have a difficult coworker. You have a, a, a hard project at work. You have a business challenge. And we kind of tense up. You can almost feel yourself pushing that thing away. Instead, welcome it. Just welcome it. Let it in completely. Let the full force of it hit you and accept it. And when you do that, your relation to it completely changes it. You can also use the the hack or the technique of, of being thankful for it. You can actually say, thank you, problem, or thank you, annoying coworker. Thank you, difficult client. And it totally changes your relationship. And then you're in a place where you are in, you are mastering it. You are on top of it and you can now look at it in a more positive way and how to deal with it. The second one would be uh, called the reality distortion field. This comes from Steve Jobs, who believed things so strongly his coworkers described him as literally having a reality distortion field. They'd be convinced something wouldn't be possible. They go into a meeting with him, they come out, they'd be convinced they could do it. And the idea was to believe in something so strongly that you actually impress that on the minds of others. And I think that when we have a positive mindset and literally picture ourselves at like having this physical reality distortion field around ourselves, we really can start to influence other folks with that. And the third technique is smiling. I know this may seem obvious, but there's a great 
research study. It's in the book. It's very funny. They had people read Far Side cartoons, Gary Larson's The Far Side. And uh, they had a group of people put pencils in their mouth and hold it in such a way that their faces were contorted into a smile. And another one had to hold the pencil on their lips so it was contorted into a frown. They didn't say, we want one group to smile and one group to frown, but that's what they did. And the group that was smiling actually thought the cartoons were funnier. They were actually more positively predisposed to seeing things in uh, a funny light, positive light. Mm -hmm. So just the act of smiling and doing that as you're in the car, (laughs) commuting to work, or you're in the shower in the morning. I know it sounds weird, but it's scientifically proven Mm -hmm. to work. Smile. Yeah, I mean, that really speaks. I mean, I love those. They're beautiful. Thank you so much. So we'll, I'll make a strong note of those. They're great. But that last one about smiling is really, it's the principle of enactment. Yeah. You know, you can be aware of these things. You can make choices to do stuff. But until you actually enact it and it gets embodied, you're not living into it. It's not I shifting. do a lot. I do a lot of sales uh, on on the phone as well as as podcasts, and one of the things that you're taught is people can hear your smile. You, they can hear your smile over the phone, mm-hmm. and that's why as we've been even doing this podcast, I'm smiling regularly. So hopefully you can hear that come through. But it just brings a different kind of energy, a different kind of presence into what you're saying. Mm. You can't do it enough. Smile. Yeah. Well, I want to compliment you. You have brought a lot of joy and I can hear the smile and I can visualize it too. But, you know, the way that you have spoken and what you've talked about, it's been really joyful to listen to. So I love that. I'm not smiling anymore. (laughs) I'm frowning. (laughs) And I can hear the difference. So (laughs) that's very cool. Yeah, it's been such fun talking with you. So I want to thank you. And I'm so happy we've had this opportunity. Thank you for having me on, Robin. This was great. You're a good podcast host. Thank you for having me. And I wish you the hugest success with um, mind hacking. I'm sure it will be. And I'm going to follow with great interest. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. See ya. Thank you, John. The show notes for this episode with a summary of my fun and informative conversation with Sir John and links to him and his work are on positivitystrategist.com slash PS43. And on that page, you'll be able to access Sir John's fabulous positivity strategies. And this is where he gives you three simple yet mind-changing practices to move you closer to being the best you can be for yourself and for others. And now here's the Positivity Lens reframe segment relating to this show. And here is what Sir John has recommended for you to be able to hack your mind for good. So the first tip he offered was welcome the pain. So whether that's the annoyance, the frustration, the unpleasant person, just welcome that pain. Because if you resist your natural inclination to tense up and push against conflict, you're going to begin to shift your relationship to adversity. And you're going to welcome it. And you could even be grateful so that you can embrace it and begin to deal with it. Now, number two was he invited you to access 
your reality distortion field a la Steve Jobs. So what he's saying there is if you believe in something so strongly and that you impress your belief on the minds of others, you are going to be able to influence them and get them to come along with you. And the third one was smile, a simple smile, because the physical act of smiling enables you to see situations and others in a more positive way. That embodiment, that physical, biological ability to be able to smile opens up a very different energy from frowning, for example. So they're the three tips from Sir John. So thanks again for listening in. And let us know if you enjoyed this episode by commenting on the show notes page. And that is positivitystrategist.com slash PS43. Or go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review. And you know how your rating and reviews are the social currency for us content curators. They are our rewards. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. <laughs>